I'm Claire Parker. And I'm Ashley Hamilton. And this is Celebrity Memoir Book Club. The podcast where we venture into territories unknown. Nobody's ever even charted them. I swear to God, no one on earth has ever picked up a celebrity memoir. So we do it. We venture into the pages. We figure out what's there. And then we relay the information to you. And if you do not like our mapping of these details. Cartography. If you don't think that we're the Magellans you've always hoped for, then how about you go be your own discoverer? I loved that. Thank you so much. That was one of your better ones. Thank you. And Ashley, do we have any notes for them? Do we have any notes for you guys? (laughs) We've been listening to how you've been listening and we have some feedback. Keep up the great work. (laughs) We have live shows. If you want extra credit on the homework of listening to this podcast, come to the shows. Toronto is fully sold out. Yeah. I think the first Chicago date is fully sold out. There's a second Chicago date. Things are moving quite along. DC, I think you might have like five tickets left to snap up. It's going to be a fun time. Minneapolis, Philly, Denver, Nashville, Atlanta, San Francisco. We've got a ton. We're so excited. We're switching up the show. We can't wait to meet you. We can't wait to greet you. We love you so much. Oh, and also, I think we have like five or six of the limited edition Ugliest Girl in the World Attack sweatshirts. So if you want one. Yeah, there's a couple sweatshirts left. I actually wear my full set a lot. Me too. And then people will be like, are you from that podcast? And I'm like wearing my old merch. I'm like, oh, me? No. (laughs) But Ashley, if you were a celebrity and you were to write a memoir, what would you call last week's chapter? I would call it if at first you don't succeed, you'll probably fail again, but keep saying you're doing it. Can I say? Yeah. I know you're kidding, but I actually do think that's the hack to life is that like you don't let one little deterrent throw you off. Totally. I have been in the middle of a shopping ban. Is that what you call it? A no buy. I've been trying to not buy anything, but then I forgot about it and I bought stuff. It happens to the best of us. First of all, I like get dissatisfied with what I look like. I have an ugliest girl in the world attack. And then I think that like a new shirt or a different outfit will make me feel prettier. And so then I buy things and that is not the truth. The other day I had a new thing. What is it? I had an ugliest girl in the world calm realization. (laughs) Cause I feel like normally when you have an attack, it's like a panic attack where you're suddenly you're like overcome and stressed and anxious and upset. But I just had like this slow (laughs) dawning of a new era where I went, Oh, I guess I really am the ugliest girl in the world. And I wasn't even mad. I didn't fight. I wasn't resentful. I just like sat calmly in it as the truth, like how the seasons change. Just one day you wake up and you go, the days have been warm for quite some time now. I guess it's summer. I feel like ugliest girl in the world attacks are really bad for my spending habits because I feel overcome with how ugly I am. And I just like start buying new shirts and like skincare products. I'm trying to not buy anything. And I forgot and I bought a dress recently and I didn't even like it and I returned it. So I guess technically I'm still on my no buy. But I do think that that's the trick at life is, you know what I mean? If you're trying to stop eating meat, okay, you go two weeks and you have one chicken sandwich. That's still better than normal. That's so true. And that's also been my meat eating situation. Yeah, like it's better than how it was. As long as you're making incremental progress. I've been like a medium pescatarian, except for when there's no thing on the menu that I really want that's pescatarian. I love that. And I think that's the perfect answer to all problems. Anyway, so, you know, we're starting again. I'm going to try to not buy things. I think that I just need to be more controlled and like, I don't need to just like never shop again, but I think I need to be a bit more intentional. You know how you shouldn't grocery shop hungry? Yeah. You shouldn't clothing shop ugly. (laughs) That's what I was going to say. You have to be a beautiful girl to buy clothes. (laughs) At the very least, you have to feel it. (laughs) Claire, yeah. how would you title your chapter this week? 
Wedding time, go. It's wedding time, go. (laughs) I feel like I haven't talked about the wedding that much on the pod, but for a really long time, I was super ahead of the game. And then I kind of took my foot off the gas and now the game has come to me and baby, I am booked. Don't call me. I feel like you planned your entire wedding. Oh my God. The email I have to the after party venue was from March of 2022. (laughs) Before you were engaged. Yes. March, I think, is when you decided you were going to get married in 2023. Yes. And then you got engaged in June of 2022. And I think by mid-July, your wedding was like planned. I think by the time we were engaged, it was planned. By July, it was booked. Booked. That's what I mean. But the thing is, you have to plan it that way because I got engaged in June. I went home and sent emails. And for the following summer, I had to get a September date because everything else was booked up. Then there was just nothing left to do. So you were like... Yeah. Whatever. And then all of a sudden, it's like, well, there's nothing left to do, but you do have to still live it. Yes. Don't talk to me. I'm getting my teeth cleaned. Don't talk to me. I'm getting my ears pierced. Don't talk to me. I'm getting custom pants. Don't talk to me. I'm working out. Don't talk to me. I'm getting everybody's addresses for a third time because I won't write them down. (laughs) And I should have written them down when I sent out the save the dates, but I didn't. So now I have to gather again, which I can imagine is probably annoying to people. And now I understand why people send out those e-save the dates. Totally. And collect people's addresses. But you know what? We're living and we're learning. And the next time I get married, I'm going to have that part down pat. So should we get into this week's book? Okay. I have to tell you guys something. Summer of spelling. Summer of spelling. (laughs) I can't explain to you why this is my favorite book I've ever read, including (laughs) non-memoirs. But she is a fucking nut job. And I love her. I love this book. It is insane. I know a lot of people say, like, what could Tori Spelling have to say in six books? Nothing. Nothing, but it's like so much. And you know how you'll sit down with a friend you haven't seen in two years and they're like, well, what's new? And they're like, not much. What's new with you? And you have nothing to say to each other because it's been too long. (laughs) And then sometimes you'll have a friend that you talk to every day and somehow you like saw them two hours ago, but you're like, I have to give you an update on this text I just got. That's Tori. Tori is simultaneously your best friend that you could talk to for hours and hours and every day there's something new to say. I said I wish she was Ashley's home friend. She's somebody that I (laughs) hope to never meet in my life, but I wish somebody I knew in real life knew her so I could always hear about what a fucking menace she is. This book is called Uncharted Territory because she's like really diving in on these topics that I think she's like, these are unique to me. Like no one's ever dealt with this before, but it's all charted territory. Like they're the most regular problems that you've ever discovered in your entire problem. They're also not problems. But like, you know, when you hear someone say something and you're like, oh my God, what did you just say? That was so funny. And then they didn't actually say that. And you're like, oh, okay, never mind. (laughs) That's this whole book. She's like, wait, what just happened? Oh, it it didn't. <laughs> I can't even explain to you guys what this book is. I'm going to give it my best shot. But this book is like basically just 200 pages of her being like, here's everybody who doesn't like me. And by the end, you go, well, I get it, Tori. You seem awful. But can I say she doesn't even seem awful. She seems neurotic, but in a way where I'm like, enough. You have to get a grip. Like not a menace, but a drain. Yes. Like she's not adding chaos to a situation, but she is sucking energy from it. She would be a menace on a bachelorette. Oh my God. One time I went on a trip with my friend and he brought his girlfriend. There was like a big group of us in college and the girlfriend the entire time had something wrong. Like at one point he couldn't come out to dinner with us because she had a headache. And then at one point 
we were all going to go on a walk, but like they didn't come because her knee was bothering her. That is the Tory of the group. Like there's just always something wrong where she needs special attention in a way that like ruins the pre-planned event. But then she's also somebody who's obsessed with not getting special attention. Yes. It's very Prince Harry. I guess she's kind of like the Prince Harry of LA. And so then she like buys a cheese platter for the party and you're like, okay, well, we like just went out to dinner. So coming home to this platter of cheese is actually not that useful, but I appreciate the thought. Yeah. Or she would make like this elaborate dessert that looks like every Everybody. She'd make like Sunday portraits of the group. You'd be like, look, this is everybody's little emoji. I made bitmojis out of ice cream. And then you'd be like, well, Karen brought homemade cookies. And she'd be like, Karen's homemade cookies suck. Yeah. So I made a better dessert. Or she'd be like, do you know what? I ruined this trip and I'm so sorry. So I'm going to buy us all a trip next week. And if everyone could just chip in a thousand dollars each, we could pay for it. I also do want to say one day, if me and Ashley are ever at a point where we actually don't need money from this podcast anymore and can truly do whatever we want to do, we will do a legitimate summer of spelling. We will do all of her books, even the ones we've already covered. And then we will also do the extended spelling universe. I want to do Candy Spelling's memoir. I want to do Mary Jo's memoir. Who's Mary Jo, you may ask. That's Dean McDermott's ex-wife. Who he cheated on with Tori. Who has nasty toenails, apparently. Anyway, I like I can't explain it, but somehow this book made me want even more. I said six more memoirs. It's not enough. Summer of spelling. Why don't we make it a year of spelling? Why don't we make it a lifetime of spelling? Why don't we spell it out for you? This is the spell cast now. <laughs> <laughs> you joke, but oh my God, that's what we do. Should we ever actually be successful and have like a TV show or something and just get to dick around and do whatever we want for fun? I want us to have a whole podcast about Tori Spelling where we watch 90210 and then we watch So Notorious and then we watch Tori Tori and Dean. Dean. Ah! I can't explain what it is about this woman, but she's so crazy and I can't get enough and I want more and they give you more. They said, oh, you want to know more about my life? Let me get my cousin. She'll tell her side of the story next. Okay, so let's start at the introduction. Welcome to Los Angeles. Something about this book is it covers what seems to be Six months of her life. Does that sound right? It's like six months, but also a lifetime. I don't know why she has an introduction because the introduction is just a chapter one. Yeah. Everything is sprawling. Everything goes. Everything's petty. So the book opens up with an email that Tori gets from her friend. I guess this was 2010. We're friends communicating via email around this time. The email says he just landed on a flight He touched down in Los Angeles and the person came over the speaker and said, welcome to Los Angeles, birthplace and residence of Tori Spelling. And she's like, what does this mean? Are they making fun of me? Are they celebrating me? I don't know. And my answer is probably both. Yeah. She says, of all the famous people, of all the actors, of all the tabloid darlings, of all the gay icons, why me? And Tori, I don't know, but it's you, baby. It's you. And then she figures out why. She says the name Tori Spelling draws viewers. It sells magazines, books, a jewelry line, a children's clothing line. My name also apparently welcomes certain unsuspecting travelers as they arrive in Los Angeles. So it goes. My life is a show. Myself is my business. My name is my brand. It's a weird way to live and maybe I'll never get used to it. But at the same time, business is booming. So she gets into her life as an absolute friggin' workaholic. Yeah, turns out I'm officially a workaholic. Ever since Tori and Dean, the TV show has become a success. They're on season five at this point. She can't stop getting deals. Right now, this very summer, 2010, she's the face of Q-tips. Do you know how hard it is to be the face of Q-tips? Summer's number one beauty. What is it? I don't know. Hold on. The rescue beauty trick of the summer. 
Yeah. So she wants to do everything. The problem is she's already overextended, but she wants to take every opportunity that comes to her. And she goes, so what if it's all day, every day, 44 weeks a year? (laughs) I want to do it. Do you know how hard it is to have two months vacation per year? Not two months vacation per quarter. Two months vacation per year. In some ways, I feel like I'm turning into my father. Dad was a workaholic. He was productive. Work was lucrative, but it never stopped. Yeah, I don't think you have to worry about that, Tori. (laughs) Aaron Spelling, you are not. I tell myself I'm doing it for the fans and for my business. I'm building my brand. She talks about how she tweets her little heart out because she wants to hit a million followers like Denise Richards. The way I use Twitter is a perfect example of how it never stops, how I never stop. Sometimes Dean is sleeping next to me in bed while I tweet until 1 a.m. I tweet what I've prepared for the kids' holiday parties at school. I post what movies I watched that night. I check to see how many followers I have. I check to see how many followers Brooke Burke and Denise Richards have. It's true, guys. That's hard work. (laughs) Can I tell you the way she talks about Twitter in this book? It's so funny to me that there is like a class of celebrity memoirs that exists in this era where Twitter was the most important thing that they do. Yeah. I mean, the Denise Richards memoir, for example, I was like, oh, well, I'm happy that Denise was so obsessed with Twitter. And it turned out she was like recognized for her accomplishments (laughs) on the medium. Listen, I already know you guys love hearing about books. So you have got to experience Audible. Audible lets you enjoy all of your audio entertainment in one app. You'll find the best of what you love and something new to discover. Audible is the home of storytelling. You can discover thousands of podcasts from popular favorites to exclusive new series, guided wellness programs, theatrical performances, comedy, exclusive Audible originals from top celebrities, renowned experts, and exciting new voices in audio. As an Audible member, you can choose one title a month to keep from our entire catalog, including the latest bestsellers and new releases. Members also get full access to a growing selection of included audiobooks, Audible originals, and podcasts. You can download or stream our included titles all you want. Okay, so here's what I am loving about Audible. You guys know that Claire and I read a lot. And when we read our celebrity memoirs for this podcast, we like to read physical books, take notes. But I want to read other books too. And I am so bogged down with celebrity memoirs that being able to read when I'm out and about, living a busy life, taking Bug for a walk, it's really changed my entire life. I've been able to finally read books that I've had on my list for decades by listening to them while I wander around town. I have had The Trouble Boys. You guys know I love my silly little music books. The Trouble Boys by Bob Mayer. It's the story of the replacements. It is such a long book and I'd had it on my list for ages. I borrowed it from a friend, the physical copy, and I said, this is too long. I'm never going to get through it. And I've been listening to it and it is exactly the book that I've always wanted to read, but I can enjoy it with my ears while I live a busy life. I'm so happy to have gotten on Audible. If you want to get on Audible and explore everything they have to offer, go to audible.com slash worm or text worm to 500-500 for a 30-day trial. That's audible.com slash worm or you can text worm to 500-500. She doesn't find a good balance. She's a control freak. She's obsessed with dropping her kids off every day. She is obsessed with being the one to make dinner. She likes to handle everything. I want to be able to do everything. Then I'm resentful of having to do everything. And that's how it all implodes. I haven't found a good balance. And when he's awake, it doesn't sit well with Dean. A couple of nights ago, Dean came into the kitchen and told me he'd run a bubble bath for me, an overt effort to get me to relax. Yeah, I don't know what else other kind of effort that would be. (laughs) So as we record this, it recently was posted on Dean's Instagram that they are breaking up and then quickly deleted. 
There is currently no trace from either party that they are officially breaking up, even though they announced that they broke up. Dean has been working on a tunnel underground with a (laughs) shank he brought in (laughs) since this book dropped. I will say from this book, it is very clear to me that they hate each other. Literally, this book, she'll be like, people think we have a perfect relationship, but trust me, it's not perfect. I'm like, yeah, (laughs) who thinks that? It really kills me when someone writes a memoir where they're like, listen, I know that from the outside, everything looks perfect. And I actually love my husband so much. And you can just like feel the seething anger in every single page. I mean, Kelly Ripa, Matthew Perry. So anyway, here's the big problem of this book is it's summertime, right? Her eight weeks a year that she gets off, only the eight. (laughs) And she wants to finally do something fun. And she met this woman, Kathleen. Kathleen used to be on Seinfeld, but then she quit acting and got a rich husband. Okay. And she also introduces her with this sentence. Here's what's incredible about Tori Spelling. Because you could say, Tori Spelling, six books, what is there to even say in six books? And then you'll read a sentence like this and you'll go, we need even more. She said, (laughs) she had met Kathleen when they had been neighbors. She rented the guest house next door to a house in Sunset Plaza that I bought but never lived in. Let's just say it's a long story involving evil contractors, a young girl who thought that every home needed a room for the night guardsman and a lost investment opportunity about which I'm still a little bitter. What? (laughs) So when you were like 19, you bought a house and you built an extension for your security guard and then you lost your investment? Is that what I'm understanding? I couldn't tell you. Every sentence makes me want more sentence. And that is a gift. Anyway, so at one point, she was the rich one and Kathleen was renting a guest house. And now they have kids that go to the same school. Kathleen married a rich guy in Brentwood. And Kathleen is living the high life. And they have a summer place in friggin' Malibu. And she goes, will I be seeing you out in Malibu this summer, Tori? And Tori goes, oh, Malibu, we're not rich. (laughs) I love the idea of bringing my children to Malibu for the summer. I have fond memories of my childhood summer spent in my family vacation house there. My mother still owned that house, but we wouldn't be spending time there. Because, you know, she's not speaking to her mother at this point. And she says, Malibu was too rich for our blood. But then it turns out Kathleen knows about an apartment that's quite affordable. And they're so freaking happy. It's a two-bedroom apartment and it's in their budget. And she calls up Dean and says, Dean, we have to rent this for the summer. It's our only shot. At what? I don't know. But they got to do it. So they do it. Don't worry. Tori got her Malibu house. Oh, my God. I'm sorry. You say your thing. I hope your thing is not my thing. Because one of my favorite sentences in the book is on the next page. No, it's coming. It's coming. And so they're excited to have this summer in Malibu, a summer to do nothing but relax in their new two-bedroom apartment that they're renting in addition to the house they own like an hour away. So this apartment, even though it's small, they're so grateful to have it. And she says, we settled into our apartment right away. It was already furnished, but I tried to make it homey. I found a wooden sign that said beach house and propped it on the mantle. (laughs) She went to a Pure One Imports and was like, how can I make my house a home? I know. I'll get a sign that says house. (laughs) Now they'll know where they are. Beach house. It says it right there. So summer in Malibu, idyllic. No, unfortunately, if that's what you thought, you thought wrong because the beauty comes to a screeching halt when she realizes that summer she has not one, not two, but three business trips. Have you ever met anyone who would work three times over the summer? Okay, out of eight weeks, you're telling me she's going to have to fly three times? Well, Claire, you're forgetting that she actually has a horrible fear of flying that she has from her dad, who was afraid of flying because one time he was supposed to get on a plane and the plane crashed and left no survivors. And so she's afraid. She's almost going to cancel the whole work trips and say, I can't work it. And luckily, her friend Miran says, your businesses are your livelihood. (laughs) Which to me feels on the nose. (laughs) 
your income is the way you make your money. Can I tell you, <laughs> she has some real on the nose quotes in here where I'm like, there was not a lick of wisdom in these words. I don't know why you included them. Like at one point, she sees someone who looks like Dean's mom. And she's like, isn't that crazy that that looked just like your dead mom? And he goes, well, to me, it didn't. But OK. <laughs> and I'm like, why did you include that quote from him? Why did we need that in quotation marks? So she doesn't know what she's going to do about this fear of flying. She decides she has to go. She has to push herself because they need the money. And then she says what is one of the craziest sentences I've ever seen in my life. This is what I thought was going to be your favorite sentence. I have so many favorite sentences. <laughs> it's too hard. So basically, she's like, how do I overcome this fear of flying? Of course, I'll go to a psychic. I'll go to a meditation specialist. And then the meditation specialist is like, what you need is a past life specialist. And she's like, well, I love past life specialists. So of course I went. Every specialist is like upselling her on another specialist. And she's always like, they had the exact same thing to say, even though there's no way they possibly could have known each other. And I'm like, oh, these fucking nonsense shillers who are all obviously in cahoots to see how much money they can get out of Tori spelling specifically. She was like, how could the psychic have known my Reiki specialist who recommended the psychic? <laughs> anyway, she loves learning about her past lives because she can't figure out why she has it so bad in this life. And the only thing she can think of is like a past life mishap. And she says... I was immediately curious about my past lives. Maybe I was born into wealth as a punishment for my behavior as an Egyptian pharaoh. Hmm. What are you saying here? What do you mean you were born into wealth as a punishment as opposed to what? The gift that is poverty? <laughs> anyway, so it turns out that she actually is just afraid of flying because of that thing that happened to her dad. The psychic goes, no, this is like a thing from your dad. And she's like, I already knew that. I wish I hadn't spent money on the psychic. Anyway... Her dream is to have a talk show, which God bless. I'm pulling for you. I'm pulling for you over me, Tori. <laughs> and so she has to take one of these opportunities, which is hosting the Today Show. And the first day doesn't go great. But then Kathy Lee invites her back to her house in Connecticut. And she and Kathy Lee get along swimmingly. She is so impressed by Kathy Lee's estate in Connecticut. At one point, Kathy Lee brings out perfectly chilled white wine, which just refrigerated, I suppose. Yeah. It, to me, sounded actually incredible. She goes, let's go outside. Do you have sunglasses? And then she comes back with sunglasses for everybody. And something cool about Kathy Lee's house is you never see the servants. You do every course on a separate veranda at her house. And it's all been set up. Here, amazingly, was a table already perfectly set for us. Speaking of the extra credit for listeners, Kathy Lee Gifford versus Kathy Hilton. Compare and contrast 3,500 words on my desk by Friday. <laughs> anyway, so the next day, now that she and Kathy have become great palios, they end up just being able to really shoot the shit on the Today Show the next day. Tori is co-hosting the fourth hour of the Today Show with Kathy Lee. And she goes, it was so hard. I was spending an hour on TV every day. And then every hour I wasn't on TV, I was studying for hot summer barbecue tips for the next day. She was exhausted. And when she went home, she was like, I can't believe Dean didn't realize how exhausting that was. And then, will you believe this? So she spends three days co-hosting the Today Show, working so hard for an hour, studying so hard for a second hour, and then napping for the other hours. And then she hosts the show, flies home, gets back to LA at like 8 p.m., crawls into bed with her adoring husband, and he tries to boink. And she's tired. And she's like, how did you not pick up on how tired I was? And then he says, this is the beginning of the end. That's Dean code for our sex life is over. You're turning into Mary Joe. The marriage is doomed. And I said, who's Mary Joe? His ex-wife that she stole him from. They had an affair. I'm sorry, but if you won the husband via affair, you don't then like use her as code in your book for like the worst thing a wife could be. Like what a fucking psychotic thing to put in your book. Anytime I don't have sex with him, he goes, oh, you're just like my ex-wife. 
So they're having a problem where they're not having as much sex as they used to have back in the good days of the affair. (laughs) And she's like, doesn't he understand that I have a full-time job and two kids and I'm a wife and I'm sleepy? Which I get. I'm on Tori's side. I'm on Tori's side. And it also really makes you wonder what was going on between Dean and Mary Jo after she had recently birthed a child. Why can't you just have a baby and then still fuck your husband the same amount, ladies? The important thing to know is that she is freaking exhausted, right? But luckily she has that house in Malibu. So she's done with her Today Show visit. And she's like, all I'm going to do from here on out is relax because she deserves it because she only has like another seven or six weeks of summer. Okay. And then you're not going to believe what fucking happens to her. She gets jury duty. Can you believe that? And she's like, what the hell? And Dean's like, they're never going to pick you. They wouldn't put Harrison Ford on the jury because everybody would just say whatever he told them to say. So they can't have you. And thank God Tori goes, well, I don't think I'm like Harrison Ford. <laughs> Could you imagine being on a jury, like presiding over a murder case? And you're like, well, what does Tori think? I want her to like me. <laughs> anyway, so she gets to the jury duty offices, the courthouse in downtown L.A. And thank God there's computers there so she can go on guilt.com. <laughs> Do you guys remember that website? Do you remember that website? I do remember that website. So she does a bunch of online shopping while she waits for her number to get called for jury duty. And it gets called. And they say, if brought to trial, you'll be here for three weeks. And she goes, three weeks? That's the rest of my vacation, plus the first week of filming the next season of our show. If we don't film the next season of our show, the entire crew is going to be out of a job, all because of your stupid jury duty. And they say, if you have a monetary reason that you cannot be on the jury, let us know. And she says, I do. And they're like, well, you have to actually prove that you're too poor to be on the jury. And she goes, "Okay, but what if other people will be poor from me not being on the jury? And then would you believe it? They let her go. She never got picked. She was not officially on any jury, but she was like having an absolute fucking meltdown about what this would mean for the production of her show. And so they were like, for the love of God, get out and never show your face at jury again. So this begins this pattern in these chapters of things that just don't happen. So like that was an entire chapter about not being on jury duty. And it happens four or five more times in this book where she'll be like, so here we go. We're gearing up. And then it just doesn't even happen. If I was on the jury, our entire season was going to be delayed by one week. I mean, it's a reality show. They'll just cut up the rest of it, right? Why is it not interesting to be like, Dean, single father while Tori is on jury duty. That's a fun episode. Anyway, it's August. I still had three weekends left to enjoy Malibu. During the week, Dean and I had meetings about shows, websites, movies. Oh my God, you're never going to believe what happened. What happened? She bought a tiny inflatable pool and she like barely could even blow it up. And the kids kind of splashed around in it, but it was pathetic. And then she went next door and Kathleen had bought a bigger inflatable pool and blown it up with like an electric pump. So then she has a whole chapter about the paparazzi and how the paparazzi in Malibu are even worse than the paparazzi in L.A., actually. Because there's nowhere to go. Like in L.A., you can go to more low-key places. But in Malibu, there's one main store. There's a couple main restaurants. So they can just camp out outside of these restaurants and they're good to go. And the problem is that most paparazzi are so mean to you. But one paparazzi is actually nice to them and everyone should be more like him. She says, I've seen millions of cute shots of celebs on the beach, but not me. I know I shouldn't care, but I do. I'm compulsively compelled to look at every unflattering shot on my Blackberry, thinking this is forever available to anyone who wants to write a mean article about me. She loves the mags. She really does. Like, she's on Twitter. She is on the tabloids. She is keeping track of every single thing that happens. She also talks about how being on a reality show is so different than paparazzi because, like, the crew of the reality show is essentially family to her kids. And she says, when people speculate that being on a reality show is bad for our kids, What they don't get is that these guys are like uncles. They're almost as close as Liam and Stella are to our friends, the Gunkles, Bill and Scout. So she knows a lot of gay people. And every time she introduces them, she explains that they're Gunkles, which is gay uncles. 
And that explanation happens four or five times throughout the book. She really wants you to get gunkle, gunkle. Do you get it? Gay uncle, <laughs> gunkle. She talks a lot about how many gay people there are in her life. And I thought that we were going to get through the whole book without her saying that she was actually a gay man on the inside. And we did not. We did not make it to the end. <laughs> She's like, so yeah, when they're in there, they're playing with my kids and they're having so much fun versus the paparazzi who wouldn't help my kids if they were crying. And I'm like, yes, Tori, but why do you think they're taking photos of you and your kids? Is it because you're on a reality show with your kids? Do you think that's part of the problem, too? The summer is hot, but thank goodness Jenny Kane is around to keep you California cool. Support for today's episode comes from Jenny Kane, and the timing could not be better. Jenny Kane's summer staples make getting dressed easier than it's ever been before. Think minimalist and effortless, but totally refined. From flowy dresses and lightweight cotton cardigans to elevated versions of all of your everyday basics. And the most incredible home essentials, too. For a limited time, our listeners get 15% off their first order. So go to JennyKane.com and use the code WORM to get 15% off. I have been obsessed with Jenny Kane for years now. As you know, I've been trying for the better part of a decade to really find the perfect capsule wardrobe that has everything I've ever wanted in an elevated, refined, in a fun way. Every item I've ever put on my body from Jenny Kane is just exactly what you want it to be. It is those gorgeous, flowy summer dresses, a perfect fall cardigan, or just a summer evening layer. Every time I put something from Jenny Kane on, I get more compliments than I've ever received in my entire life. It is such a morale boost. Jenny Kane believes in the art of simplicity. They focus on comfort, quality, and timeless design so you can curate a wardrobe that never goes out of style. Find your forever pieces at JennyKane.com. Our listeners get 15% off your first order when you use the code WORM at checkout. That's 15% off your first order, J-E-N-N-I-K-A-Y-N-E.com, promo code WORM. Let getting dressed be one less thing to worry about. It's crazy that I have to like force myself to zoom through this book because I could sit and talk about every sentence. <laughs> this is the first book I've been like, I think we should do a two-parter. <laughs> I don't think we did two parts on Prince Harry. Jane Fonda was 700 pages. And I was like, no, I need to talk about every sentence of Tori Spelling's life. So at the end of the day from her summer in Malibu, where she doesn't actually even really get to relax because for one weekend, she has to go to New York. For another weekend, she has to go to New York. She gets jury duty at one point. I mean, it is two months of four different things just coming at her from every angle. And she realizes maybe what we need wasn't a summer in Malibu. Maybe we needed a different life. Okay. I'm so sorry to keep backtracking, but I've never highlighted more in a book. <laughs> I just want to quote this real quick. There's one really nice paparazzi guy that she becomes friends with. At one point, she even lets him in her house. But the thing that he says that really makes her trust him is she's like, please don't take a photo of me. I don't have makeup on. And he goes, oh, please. You couldn't look bad if you tried. Ah, I wasn't being chased by some faceless hound. This one was a human. So if you're ever curious how to get Tori Spelling to let you into her house like a vampire, <laughs> just be like, you're not ugly, Tori. And she'll be like, do you want dinner? Also, if you acknowledge any of her hardships, she'll be like, that really meant so much to me that you acknowledged. Yeah, she's very easy. I loved my work. I never stopped loving my family, but I still yearned for a real vacation. On the other hand, Dean doesn't seem to have the inner conflict about how he spends his time. When Dean has free time, he spends some of it with the kids and some of it doing other stuff. Whereas I feed all my free time directly to Stella and Liam's hungry mouths. Maybe men don't have the same connection to... Sorry, I'm like thinking about something she says later. <laughs> Do you remember when she called Stella garbage? Garbage what? Garbage face. 
Okay, sorry. Maybe men don't have the same connection to the kids or the same sense of responsibility or more likely the same unrelenting guilt. I love that she's like, I don't know why Dean is able to do things for himself. Maybe she doesn't have a connection to the kids. Yeah, or maybe he's not like constantly crippled with guilt about what other people are saying about him. She doesn't actually do anything she wants to do ever. She does everything out of fear of what other people are saying about her behind her back. It's so annoying. It's truly the most annoying way to be. Like everything she does is insane. But because she like insists on not being treated different in an insane way. <laughs> so like when she's at jury duty, the jury duty lady is like, I'll call you Victoria Spellman so that people don't know that Tori Spelling is here. And she's like, cool, thanks. And then she sits down and is like, no, that's gonna make everyone think I need special treatment. And then she spends like two hours sitting there trembling, practicing how she's gonna say here when someone calls her name. Because she doesn't want people to like take note that she, Tori Spelling, is Victoria Spellman. And she doesn't want people to think that Tori Spelling is at jury duty acting like a prim bitch who made the announcement lady learn a new name. It's just so insane. Everything is a problem. Anyway, so she wants a new life. But then she thought about it. What about the kids' toys and my closet and all those shoes, all those beautiful designer shoes? They need a proper home. Yeah, so she actually can't downsize. They need their big house. A week later, I loved our house again. I loved my work and I never stopped loving my family, but I still yearned for a real vacation. And now we get to another vacation they'd actually already had that summer in Hawaii. So basically, they got to go to Maui at the Four Seasons because Tori had been invited to a film festival and they were paying for four nights for the family. And all she had to pay for was the baby nurse and then the extra nights in Maui. So it was like a free vacation. Yeah, but you will never believe what happened. Like immediately when they get there, she finds a lump in her armpit. And Dean is like, it's probably nothing. And she's like, how could it be nothing? It's obviously something. And he's like, I mean, it's obviously something, but like it probably doesn't mean anything. And she just like spends the rest of their time in Maui thinking about the fact that like as soon as they get home, she's going to have to enter cancer treatment and like make a bunch of videotapes for her kids as they grow up and then she's going to die. And then she gets home and you know what? It actually was nothing. So yet again, another chapter about something that was nothing. Okay, now that we've given you the gist of that chapter, I need to go back and read all of my favorite quotes. Is that okay? Yes, that sounds good. It sucks because she's went to Hawaii her whole life. It's one of the only places she's ever flown. And Dean didn't want to go with her because it's where she went with her ex-husband. But finally, she got Dean to go. It was an outrageously expensive trip. But Dean and I were celebrating the new success of our show. And I couldn't wait to relax with him on the beautiful beaches and take walks with him and baby Liam. But for some reason, she's upset the whole time. And then Dean just goes scuba diving all day. So she never even gets to spend time with him. So it like wasn't a good vacation. Yeah. So in her cancer panic, she realizes I was going to live my life differently. If I couldn't control cancer, I would control other flaws. It was time to stop thinking that I was going to fall off a balcony, crash in a plane, be stabbed in the back in a movie theater or shot through the window of a restaurant. That stuff was irrational. The lump was real. But then she finds out it wasn't real. And so she says, I went on with my life as it was. Irrational feels and all. I didn't change. Not one bit. Isn't that the way it always goes? I mean, I guess. She also says she was going to talk to Patsy. Patsy was her baby nurse. Patsy and I had to develop a mother-daughter relationship over the years as my children's baby nurse. I knew that she understood the problems I brought her. She always found a way to comfort me. Yeah, that's because like you're paying her too. Tori is like really one of those people who's like, you don't get it. I'm not like a regular rich lady. I don't like hanging out with my friends. I like hanging out with the staff. And I'm like, other oh, people paid to be nice to you. Yeah, that's really down to earth. Also, you forgot in the middle of this, she tells a little story about buying a pig from Denise Richards. And oh then the pig God. shits everywhere. So they return it. It all goes back to Denise Richards. Everything goes back to Denise Richards. She also has this moment where they're at the Four Seasons. I've been to Maui at many different times in my life, and all of them involve spending time in the lobby lounge of the Four Seasons, which is much more family-friendly than it sounds. 
As Liam and Stella ran in circles around the bar, someone who worked there looked at Liam and said, didn't he sit on that piano here when he was a baby? I thought about how I'd been there when I was pregnant with Stella with nine-month-old Liam sitting on the piano. I'd been single at this bar with boyfriends with my brother. I'd been young and drunk at this bar. This bar had seen my whole adulthood. It had suited me as a frolicking 20-year-old. And now as Liam and Stella circled the bar stools, I saw that it was actually amazingly family-friendly. The lobby lounge was growing on me. All the stress of the night before was forgotten as I soaked in the nostalgia. What a beautiful memory of like a $5,000 a night hotel. (laughs) I'm glad you were able to look at this place and go, it's not so bad here at the Four Seasons Maui. And actually, I've had a pretty good life here. Oh, Jory. Like, what is the point of even saying that? What is the point of saying anything in this book? I know we always say the best memoirs are the ones where you like change and look back and have empathy and show growth, but not true for Tori. Tori, stay the same forever. I love I you. Never change. love that every single chapter of this book is like a life lesson that at the end of the chapter, she goes, and I refused to learn it. And here's one more thing I will not learn. But it's not even her actions where you can look at it and say, obviously, this is a lesson you didn't learn. She says, here is something I discovered. And she says with her words, something I discovered and actively chose not to implement. And I think that that is something actually really admirable. (laughs) She is the most self-conscious and least self-aware celebrity I think we've ever come across. And it's such a beautiful combination of characteristics. (laughs) Everything she does, she's like deeply aware that people are judging her and people are going to have an opinion and she doesn't want to be seen as just a spoiled rich bitch. But she cannot control the actual effect she has on people. And this whole book is about how nobody likes her. (laughs) And I'm like, I get it. especially the people closest to her. Okay, so she decides that she wants her kids to have a relationship with her mother. And this is a huge step because, as we know, they had a major public falling out and a major private falling out. And overall, they've just been falling out all over the place. And the mom has actually not met Tori's children. She met Liam once when he was like less than a year, but she's never met Stella. Yes. So she says, you know what, I'm not ready to patch things up with my mom, but I do think that she should get to be a grandma. So she sets up a little meeting between the grandkids and the grandma and Tori doesn't want to go. And okay, so I think the way we have to do this book is we do have to give like a summary of each chapter and then I'll go through and give all my favorite quotes. So do you want to finish summarizing this chapter? Because I'm sorry, this might be my favorite quote. It was making me laugh earlier. And so I can't even talk until I can talk about it. Okay, so it also works with the other relationships in her life. Mary Jo, who is the ex-wife of Dean, her husband, they also have a child together named Jack. And she also talks about how Mary Jo is someone that she's going to have to figure out how to get along with. And there are all these relationships that she like needs to figure out how they can fit in her life because they are going to be part of her life forever. And also like book writing plays a huge role in all of these. Like her mom has written a book where she responded to a lot of the things in Tori's book. And Mary Jo has a book that's about to come out. And she's like, we don't need to talk or not talk about what's going to be in Mary Jo's book. And it's just like, sure, I guess. This book functions the way like an Instagram caption would. It's very of the moment. Anyway, okay. So going through my favorite quotes. So the kids go and meet with the grandma and have a great time and love her. And Tori's like, hmm, I guess she's a good grandma. So she's talking about how excited she is for Liam and her mom to bond because they formed a bond very quickly. And she's like, I've always thought that Liam is like my dad incarnate. He was born right after my dad died. They're so similar. And she says, Also, my dad hated to eat. It seemed like a bother to him. Liam's the same way. He's never hungry and has very little interest in eating, no matter how much we beg. While Stella is a garbage face, polishing off her meal, (laughs) Liam's meal, and her own meals without blinking. (laughs) 
I guess, okay, so one thing that's so important to Tori's spelling is that everyone thinks she's anorexic and we'll get into it later, but it's like her favorite thing that people say about her. She brings it up at every shot she can. She's like so offended by the fact that people love to write about how skinny she is. (laughs) But to call your daughter garbage face when she's one years old because she has a healthy appetite is like the funniest thing I've ever seen. Garbage face. When I was reading earlier about how much... She loves her children and she says she like feeds all of her time directly to their hungry faces. I'm like, you mean their garbage faces? (laughs) I'm sorry, that's the shit you bring to therapy. Like you'd be like, where'd your eating disorder stem from? You'd be like, well, I guess when I was a baby, every time I ate, my mom said, oh, eating again, garbage face (laughs) to put it in a book. (laughs) Garbage face. Like that doesn't even make sense. Okay, can I read my favorite line from this chapter? So she's talking about Mary Jo and she says, While I am utterly aware of my role in the end of Dean's marriage and how it isn't exactly a shining example of female solidarity, I don't think of myself as a homewrecker. I'm not sure I even believe in the notion of a homewrecker. I don't think husbands can be stolen, but it is hard and awkward all around. Okay, here's the thing. Yes. I agree with that overall notion. Yeah. That I don't think a man can be stolen. Like people have autonomy, of course. It is your job as somebody who has taken marriage vows to... Stay true to those vows. Yes. And in their relationship, she was just like an annoying bitch who wouldn't have sex with him. And I am a tired mom who won't have sex with him. What is a homewrecker? I don't even know. What is an epo baby? I don't even think I believe in that. Their relationship was primed for failure because he never paid attention to her and the kids. But when Dean doesn't pay attention to me, he's my soulmate. Shouldn't he notice that I need him? I like what she says below this. So she's at this football game where Jack's playing football and they get to the bleachers. They're relatively empty, but there in the middle is sitting Mary Jo. And Tori's trying so hard to think like, how would a normal person act in this situation? Like, what should I do? I don't know the protocol. Do I sit next to her? Or will that be annoying? Or do I not sit next to her? Because I want to give her space. And she says, as we entered, I had an instant to decide where I'd sit. I was nervous. I wanted to do the right thing. So I tried to put aside all the awkwardness of the situation. We had Jack in common. And besides, I knew her and she was sitting there. If I put aside the fact that I was with her former husband, if I just removed all the complications from the equation, I knew that I would sit with her. That's what you do when you know people. (laughs) I mean, it's so true, but I do think the complications of like, you are the woman who had an affair with her ex-husband and is now married to him is like a pretty big complicate. Like you can't just be like, okay, what do you do when you're friends with somebody? So in this situation, we're mortal enemies. But if we weren't, how would I treat her if she was my friend? So then, okay, so she's sitting next to Mary Jo. They're having a nice little conversation. The problem is they're talking about football and Tori doesn't know anything about football. And she has this fantasy that Mary Jo is going to get a boyfriend and that'll make her happier. And then she won't be so mad at Tori all the time. And she had heard from a psychic that Mary Jo is going to fall in love this year. She had heard from the son that she might have a boyfriend. So she's trying to do some sleuthing about whether or not she's single. And she says, now, as I sat next to her, I did the girl once over to assess if there was a boyfriend. Her hair looked nice. She had a fresh blowout. That was a good sign. She looked fit. Check. She looked tan. Check. Then my lady sleuth skills kicked in. I saw that her toenail polish was chipped. Dead giveaway. No boyfriend. There's nothing embarrassing about the tail end of a pedicure. But if you were courting a new fellow, you'd never let your nails go to pot. Cut me some slack. With no football knowledge and no Blackberry, I was driven to toenail level obsessions. What? 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 I'm sorry, ladies. Ladies. Would you ever be caught dead with a chipped pedicure if you're dating? I like feel like that's exactly when you have a boyfriend, when you stop the upkeep. I feel like overall, if I have an event coming up or something specifically that I want to look nice for, you won't catch me with a chipped pedicure. 
I think at my wedding, I'll try to have my nails look good. Other than that, it has literally no bearing. I could be going to the Met Gala. 99.9% of the time, I feel like as long as there is within three and a half weeks of pedicure applied to my toenails, I feel like I look pretty good. I just like don't know what that would clue you into. Also, I'm sorry if some woman fucked my husband and then stole him and then wrote a book about me and then wrote a second book about me and was like, and obviously this woman was unlovable and unfuckable. Look at her skanky ass feet. (laughs) I'd be like, I will kill you. I would kill her over this toenail thing more than I would kill her over the husband thing. Also, it really like clues you into the fact that Dean has an absolute foot fetish. (laughs) It also clues you into the fact that Tori is like, when you find love, that's when you have to up everything because to keep a man is to be perfect all the time. I can't believe it. I can't believe what kind of freak shit they're into. (laughs) You know, whenever I like meet a guy who's like, oh, I'm really into girls who have like their nails done all the time. I'm always like, ugh. I've seen that on dating apps. Guys will be like, I like a girl with a perfect manicure. And I'm just like, pervert. Get out of here. I don't like it when boys are into things that girls do ostensibly for boys, but really are for other girls. Same. So yeah, her relationship with Mary Jo is a work in progress. Best of luck to them. I hope the subsequent (laughs) books haven't hurt their relationship. So this next chapter, Make New Friends But Keep the Old, is about how she has this best friend named Jenny, and she has these gunkles who have been in her life forever. And that's why it's so weird that every single person who is kind of a part of her high school graduating class, aka the class of 90210, they all hate her. And she has no idea why. And she's thought about asking and she just doesn't know. <laughs> okay, so that's the chapter. Now let's go dumpster diving, shall we? Like, <laughs> like we're her garbage-faced daughters. So she explains there's family you're born with and the family you choose. And she has this best friend, Jenny, from high school. But Jenny now has new moms, the West Side moms. And these are moms she met through her kids at school. And she's always trying to get Tori to hang out with them. And she says, you would love the West Side moms. They drink wine at one in the afternoon. They're amazing. <laughs> Which is like to me one of the biggest I'm like just alcoholics This is why you should get a job If you're just sitting around drinking wine in the afternoon That can't be a good life I didn't like the idea of Jenny having friends I didn't know And then finally there was a chance to meet one So basically one of them works at Fox And she's going to be interviewing Tori And she goes to the interview And I guess the friend Jenny had been like Oh we just did a birthday thing for Tori And so on air she goes Oh I heard you just did a birthday thing for Tori And Tori says That was true, sort of. Dean and I had spent a weekend at Casa del Mar, a hotel that means a lot to us for my birthday. And one of the nights, he surprised her with a little cabana at the Viceroy and some friends came over. But for some reason, she goes, no. She looked taken aback, so I quickly backpedaled. I mean, I had a birthday thing, but it was only 10 people, just a few of us. She said, oh, okay. Our interview had lost its footing. So did she think she was being accused of not inviting this person she doesn't know or what is happening? No, she said she did have a friend who would probably watch this interview and be like, I didn't know you had a birthday party. And she'd be like, it wasn't a party. It was like a gathering. (laughs) So she had to lie on this interview to protect her one friend's feelings. She's like, yeah, I don't know. And now that girl never accepted me. And I'm just like, I don't know. I feel like this is one of many things. It feels like you're always being so fucking weird. It seems like you're so defensive about every question that's ever asked of you about like what the ulterior motive is. And it sounds like there's like not really an ulterior motive. It seems like if you weren't so concerned about your one friend being upset, you could make a new friend. But like all you ever do is think about how other people are going to potentially perceive you. Can I say unless that friend was literally her PR person, what friend does she have that watches her Fox and Friends interviews? Tori is a media personality. I don't even listen to your other podcast. Why would you? I'm with you all the time. Like, I can't imagine my friends watching my interviews, except for Ireland AM, because that was the biggest deal of our lives. That was like the biggest thing that's ever happened to us. Anyway, so she says, speaking of friendships, all of her 90210 friendships have burnt out and she has no idea why. Why did they all hate me? I was the most liked person on that set. I was the sweet one. 
Well, that's why. I just figured it out. <laughs> My former castmates had actually formed an I Hate Tory club. She goes, I've told some of these stories before. Luke Perry dissed me at Jack's birthday party. Ian said on the radio that he was upset by my first book. Shannon came out against my book's lies. Even Brian Green, my on-screen, off-screen boyfriend, had nothing nice to say about me. Rastylus ran into him and said, have you seen Tori lately? He said, oh, I hate Tori. But wait, <laughs> why? <laughs> Maybe it's because of that book you wrote. It seems like it made a lot of enemies. But why did they all hate me? I was the most liked person on set. Can you imagine being like, why do people hate me so much? I'm better than all of them. <laughs> also, Jason Priestley hated her. And she thought maybe he sided with her ex in the divorce. She tried to hug him at Dancing with the Stars and he wouldn't even get up and hug her. She saw Gabrielle Carturis, who played Andrea, and she said hi. And Gabrielle full on did not say hi back. And she goes, why would Gabrielle hate me? I had no idea. Maybe it wasn't her. And I was just paranoid. Dean said, well, it makes sense. They all hate you. <laughs> what? And then she talks about how her gay friends are such good friends with her kids. Unlike her straight friends who haven't bonded with them. And she's like, maybe it's because they have children of their own. I don't know. Oh, my God. And then she talks about trying to make friends with her own neighborhood moms. And she takes her son to a play date and he shits himself. Which is fine. It seems like he's in a diaper. It seems like he's in a diaper and that that's what kids do. But the other mom is like, oh, do you want to change him here? And she's like, no. And the mom was like, so you're just going to let him sit in it? And she's like, what? No, we just we live close. So it's fine. And she's like, but you can just change him really quick. And she's like, oh, we're going. And then the kid like hits her. <laughs> and then the hostess is like, oh, don't hit your mom. And he looks at the mom and goes, shut up. <laughs> and then he chokes. Tori. <laughs> and Tori is like, I swear he never acts like this. I'm trying to think about what age this kid is that he's screaming, fuck you, shut up to the hostess of a party, but also still shitting his pants. The thing is, this little pickle that she entered into is all because she was like too self-conscious to like change her kid's diaper. That's the thing is I get that kids act up and it's embarrassing for parents. And I feel like for the most part, other parents probably get it. Yeah. I don't know. Sometimes your kids act weird, but it's so weird that they're like, oh, your kid pooped. And she's like, oh, yeah, just leave it. <laughs> I like, And they're like, just change him. And she's like, no, I won't. There's kids in this house. There's a million diapers. And she's like, don't say that to me. <laughs> And her kid just punches her. <laughs> so she's like, I guess I don't need new friends. And so she writes them an email being like, ah, it's so embarrassing. And they never answer. <laughs> she also says that she gets to playdates late and like never knows what to add to the conversations. And she'll just sit there quietly. Okay, so the moms were all in the middle of a conversation. As far as I could tell, they were talking about starting small businesses. I wanted to chime in. I have businesses. I have something to contribute. But I didn't know what to say. So I just sat there trying to look friendly and open. I love that she's just like, oh, what can I say to these women? I'm already so much more successful than them. I don't even know how to get in this conversation. Can you imagine being a mom whose kid goes to the same school as Tori Spelling's kid and being like, well, I guess I'll invite Tori Spelling over to my house for a play day. And then you're just like, OK, so she just sat there silently for an hour and a half. And then she refused to change her kid's poopy diaper. And her kid started choking her. That feels aggressive to me. I've seen kids pull hair. I've seen kids hit. But something about like a two-handed <laughs> choke. And then meanwhile, she's like, well, I can't get involved in this conversation. They don't have businesses and I'm so successful. How do I even tell them what to do? Oh, God, Tori, you're a nightmare. Okay, so now she's like, I'm done trying to have friends. Yeah, it's honestly a lot. Then we have this chapter. This one, there's a lot going on. Bear with me while I work through it. <laughs> this is, oh, my God. Okay, so Tori had a baby nurse named Patsy, right, who helped with her first two children. Patsy goes back to Atlanta and is going to be coming back to L.A. 
because they have helped her book a gastric bypass surgery because Patsy is told by her doctor that she needs to lose a little bit of weight for her health and they are going to help her through her surgery, right? Which I thought was really sweet. I thought that that was very sweet. And then it turns out from Patsy's doctor that actually... She's not getting enough oxygen in her lungs, so they don't think she should fly. So they have to do it in Atlanta. So first, Dina's like, well, I'll go get you, which I also thought was very sweet. And then they're like, no, we'll just go to her. She'll do the surgery in Atlanta. And I'm like, well, that's very sweet, too. You guys are going to go help take care of her. And then it turns out, actually, they go two weeks after the surgery and they take a one full week road trip to get there. That they film for the show. So three weeks after she gets surgery, you show up with cameras. That's not... The nicest thing I've ever heard. Yeah, but okay. So the reason they actually couldn't go when the surgery was supposed to happen is because Tori herself ended up in the hospital. Okay, this whole chapter is only five pages. How does it take so long to explain? Anyway, so they're supposed to go and help her out. But then Tori randomly gets so, so, so sick. And like she has terrible stomach ails and they have to take her to the hospital. And at this point, she's also extremely stressed out because the tablets keep on saying that she's anorexic. And she's like, I'm actually not anorexic. They keep saying she's 95 pounds and she's like, I'm actually 107 pounds. So stop saying I'm 95 pounds. And she's like tweeting this at tabloids. And she says, they should come weigh me. I weigh 107 pounds. I'm honestly not hung up about my weight. I'm not anorexic. But 107 was not my actual weight. My scale said I weighed 104. But Star said I was 95. Nine pounds didn't seem like a big enough difference. So I added a few pounds. 107 sounded like a good number. Nobody would make up 107. The next day I got an email from my publicist saying, how should I respond? Tori's like, I don't know what to do because the magazines are like, great, we'll come weigh Tori if that's what she wants. And then she's like, I don't know what to do. I lied about my weight. So she goes to the doctor. It turns out she weighs 101. I don't think there's a resolution here. I don't think there's a resolution, but she was in the hospital for stomach problems. And so she missed Patsy's surgery and she has a fight with the tabloids. She also talks about a fight that she has with Dean's ex-best friend who was leaking stories about her to the tabloids. Yeah, because as she's in the hospital trying to relax, I glanced towards the foot of the bed. There lay a tabloid magazine that Dean had bought for me for some light pleasure reading. Can I say Dean flip fucking through it? Also, like, I'm sorry, but Tori is a tabloid girl. Like, why is she even reading those for fun? Inside, I knew there would be an article saying that I weighed 95 pounds and was in the hospital because of Mary Jo's newly released book, Divorce Sucks, and the stress that it was putting on me and Dean's relationship. And so conveniently, around the promotion of the book, Divorce Sucks, there was a story that got leaked to Star Magazine, but like obviously by Dean's friend, Mike, saying that Dean called Tori a horse face and hated her. That he was marrying me, was going to be good for my career, and I'm going to have millions now. They had had some issues with Mike early in their relationship. They suspected Mike had sold a story to the tabloids, and now Mike was obviously selling stories to the tabloids, potentially in cahoots with Mary Jo's book launch to sort of get the conversation around the Dean, Tory, Mary Jo triangle going again. Anyway, then she gets out of the hospital, and that's it. So they take this road trip across the country to go visit Patsy two weeks after her surgery. While she was in the hospital, she was watching the Today Show, and the co-hosts of the Today Show were Khloe Kardashian and Heidi Montag. And she's like, okay, so I guess it wasn't special that they asked me to co-host the Today Show. They're like asking a bunch of idiot reality girls to do it. And it's like, ooh, Tori. And then she's at a gift shop on the road. The gift shop proprietor is like, okay, these are $250 bookends, but I'm going to give it to you for $75 because I like you. And then she overhears the proprietor of the gift shop giving someone else a great deal on garbage. And she's like, wait a second. I thought you liked me. And the bookshop person goes, well, maybe I like both of you. And so then they stop at a motel and she spends an entire page explaining that this is the cheapest place she's ever seen in her life, including her own house, if you amortize the mortgage. And she's like, that's fine. But I was so freaked out by seeing somewhere disgusting. I thought every stain was blood. And then she looks and the kids are rolling around on the bed and they go, 
My children were probably playing in a germ pit of fecal matter and dried semen. No offense to Motel 6. I mean, then why did you go? I grabbed Stella and Liam and snatched the comforter out from under them, throwing it in a heap in the corner. So she's just like repulsed by the whole thing. They go to a steakhouse in Texas where you're supposed to eat 72 ounce steak in an hour to like win a t-shirt. And she like hides dinner rolls in her bra as a joke. And then she gets so scared and she pulls them out because she's scared somebody's going to say Tori cheated. Yeah. And she's also scared she's going to be like anorexic Tori hides dinner rolls so that she doesn't have to eat them. That's not how people without eating disorders think. <laughs> if you have a 72 ounce steak in front of you and you're putting a dinner roll in your bra, nobody's like, oh, that girl's skipping out on carbs. She also <laughs> was like, I probably ate eight ounces of steak. That's a lot. And I'm like, totally. At one point in this book, she's like, I sat down and had an entire hamburger. It was delicious. I'm like, sure, Tori. Okay, so they get to Patsy's house. They surprise her, even though there are full on camera crews already in the house waiting for them to do their surprise. And then she has arranged for another surprise the psychic John Edward is going to talk to Patsy on the phone and help her communicate with her three deceased children. This is really fucked up. <laughs> Patsy takes her call separately and then she gets on the call and she's like, it's so annoying. Dean's family hogged the whole thing. And then when it was finally my turn to talk to my family on the other side. The only person that came through was Farrah Fawcett. And she's like, I knew Farrah Fawcett briefly. She was on my dad's show, Charlie's Angels, and she was our neighbor. But like, that's not who I'm looking to talk to. And Farrah Fawcett just kept coming through. And they're like, I don't know. She insists that you give a message to her son. She wants you to tell him, remember Hawaii and Daffy Duck. And Tori's like, okay, I don't really know what to do with that. I'm not going to call Redmond and tell him that like his mom talked to me via psychic. I never called Redmond, of course. It's still unresolved and it still kind of haunts me. I should call him. I really should. Shoot. I do actually genuinely think it's like insane to put that in a book before you've called him. Me too. As real or as fake as you think it is. I could hear an honest argument on either side of whether you should have called Redmond or you shouldn't have called Redmond. One thing I definitely don't think you should have done is put a conversation you have with somebody's dead mom in a book. She calls herself the queen of non-confrontation a few times. And I am willing to bet a lot of money that she put this in the book, hoping that someone would read the book who knows Redmond and would deliver the message for her. And then she would never have to call Redmond, but he would still get the message. Anyway, they do a couple other surprises for Patsy. She calls Sleep Number and is like, hey, she's a huge fan of this mattress that we had at our house. Can you get one for her house? And I'm like, Tori, just buy a fucking mattress. And then as like Patsy's going through the house that they kind of redecorated, she stops and looks at a photo of her son who has passed away. Patsy had six kids and three of them passed away. And she's like, yeah, she's totally blind to all the renovations because she like needed that moment. But once that moment was over, then she really was grateful for what I did. And I'm just like, I don't know. Stop talking about Patsy. Leave Patsy alone. Yeah, it seems like he just kind of broke into Patsy's house and like fucked shit up. When she was ready, Patsy walked through the whole house with me. I could see that she loved it. She turned to me and said, thank you. I don't know what to say. I said, you don't need to thank us. I just want you to be happy. All right. So she's communicating lightly with her mom via assistance. Yeah, it seems like her mom is trying to reach out. They'll be like, hey, your mom wants you to come over. Like your mom's also in the same hospital as you. Do you guys want to hang out? And she'll be like, no, send her flowers. She talks a little bit about how her and her brother have also lost touch because the issues with her mom, her brother kind of just faded out of her life. And she's like, we used to be best friends. And then I got married and then we just kind of lost touch. She keeps saying something happened, but she won't say what. And she seems to fully blame him. So her uncle dies and she finds out via email because her assistant says, can you call your mom? We don't have your phone number anymore. And she says, why? What's up? And they were like, well, can we just talk on the phone? And she was like, not really. I'm kind of busy right now. And they're like, okay, well, your uncle's dead. And so then she starts crying and she goes, it's not all right to cry. It's a sign of weakness. Crying and being comforted makes this about me. People shouldn't feel sorry for me. I felt like I didn't deserve sympathy or attention, maybe because I'm not used to it. I've spent my whole life getting attention, but none of it felt personal. 
So I'm not used to that or I crave it or I'm all mixed up about it. But Dean told me to let go. And then in the kitchen with Dean, I let myself cry. Shut up. I find it actually more annoying to be like, I'm not allowed to cry. I don't deserve to cry. Just cry or don't. She's crying. And then she and her brother have made plans. They haven't talked in a while, but they're going to meet at Uncle Danny's funeral. Unfortunately, once again, Tori Spelling comes down with sickness and she is once again in the hospital. I will tell you what. I'm always like, why does Tori Spelling need more money? Have they not earned enough money from like years of reality TV and 90210 and all these things? Their hospital bills must be through the fucking roof, not to mention the non-hospital bills from her extracurricular doctors who do like, you know, goofy science. She goes to a holistic doctor who tests her for H1N1 virus. Do you guys remember that one? Swine flu, baby. And he does a finger test where he's like, if you can pull your fingers apart, you don't have it. And he's like, you don't have it. You have parvo, which is a dog disease. It is a disease that puppies get. And so then she tries to make shepherd's pie from scratch to make her forget about how sick she is. And then she's just sitting on the couch tweeting about how much she loves making shepherd's pie. And then she realizes she's so sick, she has to go to the hospital. And she's so nervous because she's like, if I go to the hospital, I'm probably not gonna be able to make my flight for Uncle Danny's funeral tomorrow. But I feel so sick and I have to go. So she goes to the hospital and she's like delirious. And she keeps telling them that she has parvo. And they're like, okay, probably not, though. (laughs) That's for dogs. (laughs) And then they say she doesn't have H1N1 either. And then a nurse is like, yes, you do. I can tell. And it's getting worse and worse. You got a false negative. They're going to test you again. And they kind of just give her no treatment. And then they're like, okay, we'll go home. First, they won't give her painkiller via IV, even though she's in a lot of pain because she's on the wrong floor. So Dean, the hero, unhooked my IV, grabbed his wan, frail wife in his arms and carried me out of the hospital. He walked through the halls into the fourth floor elevator and down to the ER. He stood in the middle of the ER holding me in his paper thin hospital gown and demanded, could anyone do anything for her? She's in pain and they can't help her on the fourth floor. And they're like, everyone's kind of worked up. Nobody's ever done that before. (laughs) She's like, wow. And then they're like, yeah, you do have H1N1. Just take some Tamiflu and go home. And so they take her to a different hospital where they put her on like an isolation floor. And she's like, I'm going to die here. And I'm like, wow, this is very pre-COVID. And then she says the pain medication I was on made me horny. And Dean was so happy to take advantage of the new side effect. Yep, I had sex at Cedars. I was a very naughty girl. They may never admit me again. Bitch, what? I can't believe that Dean had sex with you in a hospital bed. When you had the flu. That man is too horny for his own good. I'm sorry, but I've seen people with the flu. It's not hot. It's not hot. That's like one of those crazy things that like a bad person does when they're like, well, she asked. Like, what was I going to say? No. And it's like, yeah, you're the conscious adult. Was he not worried he was going to get swine flu from the Boinkin? I think that nothing gets between Dean and Boinkin. Anyway, she goes home. The good news is that her and her brother's friendship had been rekindled because they talked on the phone about the funeral. So Uncle Danny died, but her and Randy were alive again. An imperfect marriage. This is a chapter about how people think her and Dean are perfect, but actually they have a lot of problems. So she says that he loves motorcycles. And she initially was very okay with this hobby because she knew that his ex-wife hated that he rode motorcycles and she wanted to be cool. But she actually hates it too because it's dangerous. And it takes up all of his time. So she says it's weird as we've become more successful together. I've become more of a workaholic and he's become more of a motorcycleaholic. And the more money they have, the more vacations he wants to go on, more the more money she wants to make. She also, the more successful she gets, the more she says sorry in her real life. Like she feels very guilty for being successful. The thing is, she keeps talking about how successful she is in this book and how hard she works. And I am like to work this hard and to have been set up that hard. Shouldn't there be more to show for it? 
That's how I feel. But she has all those businesses. Yeah, that's She's so true. She's the face of Q-tip. For one summer. So then she gets into why he loves motorcycles so much, blah, 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 blah. He's like, don't you know how good it feels to be flying around the track or whatever? And she's like, why would you rather be flying than hanging out with your family? But she says, for better or for worse, I refuse to make rules for Dean. Instead, I just royal in resentment. He's off doing his life-threatening gearhead man hobby while I'm working my ass off. But then one day she's watching their reality show and she's working hard and he's going to do his hobbies. And he says to the camera, I'm a douchebag. And the fact that he acknowledges it, the fact that he knows he's a dick, she loves that about him. She says, Dean and I have been together for four years. And in that time, he has become a household name through our show and in motorcycle circles. What does that mean in motorcycle circles? Like in houses that have motorcycles, they all know somebody named Dean. He also does this thing where he's gone for a motorcycle race and he comes back and he signs up to go to a premiere. And she's really upset about it because she's like, you were just gone all weekend. Why don't you want to come and spend time with us? And he's like, fine, I won't go. And she's like, no, I want you to want to spend time with us. And he's like, fine, I'll stay home. And then he calls his friend Santiago over who he races motorcycles with. And they spend the whole night together chatting for hours. And Tori has to put the kids to bed by herself. And she's like, I don't understand why you don't want to spend time with us. And she's like, that's just marriage. And I'm like, oh, Tori. Okay. Here's the thing is I feel like this chapter was very illuminating in how little they actually know each other because they had a secret affair and then they were publicly together and then they immediately got pregnant with Liam and then they got married and then they were parents and a family and they were on a reality show. And I feel like they never actually got to know each other because the part of the relationship before they had children was a secret affair. So here's something else interesting that I think is illuminated about their relationship. And actually, Tori's relationship in general. During the fight about the motorcycle incident, when I told Dean I was worried about our relationship, he said, we have a great relationship. When I was in New York, everyone was talking about what a great relationship we have. And I said, yeah, I was on Twitter missing you. That was real. I did miss him. What? But people say we have a perfect relationship. We hear it and we buy into it. When I watch the show, I think we're perfect too. Dean and I are in a solid, committed relationship, but it's not always perfect. Things change. Relationships have ebbs and flows. The tabloids had it all wrong. We weren't in a loveless marriage. Dean had never said any of those horrible things to his former friend, but that autumn was hard. We were in an ebb. If your wife says, I think our relationship is in a bad place right now, and your husband goes, that's not true. People think we're doing really well. (laughs) (laughs) What does that fucking mean? And she's like, it's true. People think we're in a really good thing. So I guess we are. Like, what are you talking about? Also to be like, people think we're doing really well. Oh, yeah. I miss you. Okay. It's true. If I didn't miss you, would I be telling hundreds of thousands of people on Twitter that I missed you? If I didn't love you, would I miss you? (laughs) Tori isn't just a workaholic. She's a (laughs) mama-holic. Yeah. So this next chapter is about how as like a classroom mom, she doesn't just sign up for as much as she can because she like wants to be involved. She signs up for a lot because she doesn't trust these other dumb bitch moms to not bring box snacks to events. I wonder why everybody hates her. (laughs) she'll stay up all night making like mozzarella worms for the Halloween party and like little pumpkin cutout sandwiches. And then people will be like, you did a really good job. And she's like, yes, I told you. So also in this book, every mean thing that anyone's ever said to her or about her gets put down. So I guess one time she was invited to a play date in Pasadena and it was the summer they were in Malibu. And she's like, I don't think we can make it. And they go, you don't make anything. And she's like, can you believe that they said it about me? And I'm just like, I guess. Who cares? Who cares? It sounds like everybody else is telling you you make great mozzarella worms. (laughs) So I just think you win some, you lose some, Tor. And then she talks about having to learn how to let go a little bit. And so one time she lets Dean and Liam decorate the Christmas tree together and she doesn't really have time. And then she tells them they did a good job. 
She spends four pages describing this time that she tried to do a poster for Liam's like preschool class project. And it takes her two straight nights and like 17 Hobby Lobby trips. Tori, nobody cares about your kid's school project. Also, she's really mad that she works so hard and Dean seems to not work at all. She's like, I'm just a control freak and it's not my fault. Of course, Dean couldn't do the thing I asked him to do because I'd be mean to him about it. He's right. He shouldn't work. I'm working too hard. And then you know what? She makes another shepherd's pie and she ends up in the hospital again for a migraine. Can I tell you, I don't think you should go to the hospital for a migraine. And she's like, yeah, I've been getting them for 10 years. I'm like, well, then stay home. You know how it goes. So she's been getting migraines for 10 years. And she blames the shepherd's pie. She's like, have you ever noticed that every time I make a shepherd's pie, I go to the hospital? No more shepherd's pies. And I'm like, good correlating. Excellent science. She thinks, you know what? I better go to like a real doctor about this. So she calls her favorite witch doctor. Yeah. Mama Lola, who she actually went to in the last Tori Spelling book. Yeah. And the thing is, Mama Lola sacrificed a chicken last time. And she's like, we can't sacrifice a chicken. I like really didn't like that. But they're like, okay, I mean, like, it might not be real magic then if you haven't sacrificed a chicken. And she thinks that she's getting these headaches. She got swine flu. Like all of these things have been happening because the evil eye is on her. And she thinks Mary Jo gave her the evil eye. And she's like, at first, I'd be like, why would Mary Jo do that to me? But then she found out you could give an evil eye by accident just by having negative thoughts about someone. And she's like, oh, so Mary Jo did this by accident. (laughs) Mary Jo, that bitch ex-wife who wouldn't fuck your husband, who has skanky ass toenails. She has ugly toenails. And she treated your husband in the exact way that you wish you could, (laughs) telling him no motorcycles and a reasonable amount of sex. And now that bitch is giving you migraines that you've had for 10 years. (laughs) Anyway, so Mama Lola comes and does some treatment. And at first she feels really anxious because Mama Lola is like, we honestly have to sacrifice a chicken. And she's like, how could I sacrifice a chicken? Like, what would I explain to my child that I sacrificed a chicken because I felt that my spirit was more important than this chicken spirit? And Mayron says, but you have to live the evil eye for the sake of your children so you can stop being sick and be a good mom. He had a point. I decided to worry about the slaughter when the time came. (laughs) So then they can't even find a live chicken in L.A. at this time of night. It's like Friday after six. So all the live chicken sellers are, you know, home with their families. And the only live chicken available is this actor chicken named Elizabeth Taylor. And they're like, but you can't kill it. It has to return alive. And they're like, well, what are we even going to do with a living chicken actor? So they're like, fine. (laughs) (laughs) No chicken slaughter. I guess the evil eye stays on. And then Mama Lola makes this like concoction and they make Tori get covered in it. And then she has to like put it all over her vagina (laughs) and it burns. (laughs) And there are cameras on her the whole time. And then her producer has to take all of her underwear that's been covered in her burning vagina and like bury it in the road. Then they have to do another bath like three days later. There's a lot of baths involved. She says this may be hard to believe, but lifting the evil eye didn't seem to help my headache. Maybe we should have slaughtered the chicken. Parentheses, I would never. But she did. She did, though. She already slaughtered a chicken. A few days later, our friend Scott, who races with Dean in Santiago, saw me walk around the house with my headache relief roll-on stick. He said that his ex-girlfriend was an energy healer and a past life worker or something like that, living in Hawaii. Of course, my energy needed healing. Plus, I figured my past lives must have some idea about how to fix my headaches. Why keep hunting for a solution when Lady Victoria Spellingshire might have solved it with some vinegar and opium poultices back in the Middle Ages? Okay, so you are never going to believe what happened in her past life. Okay, wait, before we even get into that, the thing that blew my mind is Scott goes, you're in luck. She can read your energy from Hawaii over the phone and she doesn't even have to talk to you. So I guess Scott just calls his ex-girlfriend and an hour later, he's like, she's got the whole stitch down. I don't believe, listen, 
I don't know much about energy healing, but I don't think just any two people could talk on the phone and you can pick up on their past lives, right? I mean, I've never done it. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, so tell them what had happened in her past life that was causing all her headaches. Okay, so she and Dean were actually together in a past life, which makes sense. They are soulmates. But Dean cheated on her in a past life. And then they got into an argument and Dean bopped her on the head and she died. (laughs) And that's why her head hurts all the time. That's why she's always afraid that Dean would cheat on her, even though she knows from the bottom of her heart that he would never. It is not because he cheated on his ex-wife with her. It's because of the past life thing. And she's like, the only thing that doesn't make sense here is like, if my subconscious is picking up on the past cheating and very nervous about it, why doesn't his subconscious feel guilty? That's a huge hole in the universe, if you ask me. Also, this realization actually didn't cure her headaches. Yeah, she keeps having headaches. I'm trying to find examples of how often whenever she projects what she thinks the tabloids are going to say about her, she's like, they're always going to be like that super too thin star, that anorexic little Tori spelling, that like skinny little mini. I'm like, you love it. You love it. (laughs) Cutest girl you've ever seen. (laughs) So tiny, she could slip through a hole in the wall. Itty bitty microscopic Tori spelling horse face bitch. So successful, so little, so swine flu. Her husband hates her. Can you believe? (laughs) 95 pounds and not a pound to love. (laughs) So they figure out that her headaches are because of like a spinal blockage. No, they're going to block the spine or something. They're going to create a spinal blockage so that her body can't feel her headaches. (laughs) They brought me into the operating room all while calling me Miss Birkin, the false name I use when I'm trying to avoid Tori's spelling attention. It's a little more subtle than Victoria Spellman. I don't think it is. <laughs> I'd be like, the Jane Birkin. <laughs> what if I went in and I was like, don't call me Claire Parker and don't call me some stupid attention grabbing name like Clara Parkin. <laughs> call me a good, subtle, normal person's name like Miss Four Seasons. <laughs> <laughs> don't call me Ashley Hamilton. Don't call me Allie Hamilton. Do call me Jane Fonda. <laughs> But no one will know there's a celebrity here. She gets her spine blocked and then she's like digging through a closet and she finds something baby related and she's like, it's a sign. I should have more babies. She just sits in her closet and cries (laughs) and she reaches into her old bags, which are the only things that makes her happy. And she finds a baby toy and she goes, of course, my strength is my children, my babies. And she's like, can you believe I had such a breakthrough? And I'm like, I guess I can. But what did you break through? What changed when you said baby? What are you talking about, Tori? I know it sounds like a revelation in the closet scene from a cheesy daytime drama, but it happened and it was pretty magical. I don't know what it is that you're saying. Like, what about you going into a closet and pulling out stuff from pockets and purses you haven't used and finding things that you were using a year ago? Like, none of that's crazy. This is a very meta book, obviously, that exists in real time. This is like a series of long drawn out tweets. This is a series of unfortunate events. And I do believe that at the point of writing this, she was probably pregnant with her next kid, but too soon to talk about it. Or like trying to get pregnant. Yeah, or trying to get pregnant. And I wonder if she wrote that so that in her next book, she can be like, do you remember that magical moment in the closet when I pulled out that baby toy and realized my children were my strength? That was my next child calling to me saying that it was ready to be conceived. You know, shows where you don't have to watch every episode to understand what's going on. Her books are written like succession, where like every single detail is important for the next episode. (laughs) I think they're written like tabloid magazines where they're like for this week. And if it's relevant next week, okay, great. But if not, who cares? We've moved on. There's a new book. So then it's Christmas time and she gets invited to her mom's famous Christmas party. And she hasn't gone in years. She hasn't even been to her 
house since her father passed away. And she's like, you know what? We're going to do this. And she spends weeks leading up to this event anxious about making sure everything is perfect, making sure kids have the perfect outfit. She doesn't even know what she's going to wear. She doesn't even think about her own outfit. So we spend like several pages discussing what everyone's going to wear to the party. She lets her one-year-old daughter borrow her Chanel purse. And then they get there and it's beautiful. It's extremely fancy. It's not like the Christmas parties that she remembers. She says, when I was growing up, we would have an elaborate Christmas party, but it wasn't a huge party because my dad didn't like people. So it would be like a very intricate party with very fancy things. Like with 40 or 50 people. Yeah. And then she goes, God, but now there's like 200 people. Wouldn't it have been cool to grow up with parties like this? No. I've never heard a kid be like, you know what I wish we were doing on Christmas Eve? Hanging out with my dad's business partners. I've never met a kid who wanted to go to a 200-person party at their own house on Christmas Eve. That's not what anybody wants. Her mom hugs her, and she says, wow, this private moment is finally happening in public. But it didn't feel weird. It felt like exactly as it should be. I couldn't imagine anything being different. She spends the entire party being anxious that her mom is going to flip out at her, and then her mom just, like, being nice to her. Yeah, and she keeps saying, like, every time we talked, the whole party stopped. The servers stopped. Everybody stopped. Everybody was watching. Everybody couldn't believe it. Her baby breaks a Christmas ornament by accident and she is like having a full on meltdown about what to do about this shattered ornament. And then her mom comes over and is like, oh, give it to me. I'll get rid of it. And she's like, what? <laughs> get rid of it. She's acting like such a grandma. Tori's having a bad time because she wore high heels and she's carrying her baby and she's starving. And every time she tries to go eat, someone talks to her. And at one point she finally makes a break for the seafood table. And who should stop her dead in her tracks? The world's fastest etch-a-sketcher. Oh, yeah. And then he does an etch-a-sketch portrait. And she's like, it took 15 minutes, which is probably fast for an etch-a-sketcher. But it felt slow when you're posing for an etch-a-sketch. She's like, my face was at a really weird angle because I wanted him to get my good side. Are you going to stand very still with that etch-a-sketch on it? Like, what do you mean? It shakes and it goes away. Anyway, also Dean ditches her. So she's like carrying a baby, wearing heels. She had just had a spine surgery done. And Dean like went to the basement to bowl with the boys. She's like, it was just really fucked up of him not to check on me because like, what if I wasn't fine? I was fine. So it was like, it was okay for him to do. But also like, what if I hadn't been fine? I do wish he hadn't abandoned me at my first reunion with my mother in years. But it was fine. And then later she goes, it was actually really good that he ditched me the whole party because it gave me time to like connect with my mom and he knew I needed that moment. And I'm like, totally. It was definitely that and not that he like wanted to bowl. At one point he says, I knew you'd be fine. And she's like, oh, okay. So like he had faith in me and that's why he ditched me. Anyway, so she's working her way through the party. She meets Sean Hayes from Will and Grace and she's like, I wish I could have talked to him, but the only thing I know how to talk about is being gay and he wasn't out yet. <laughs> I was like, oh, interesting. He was a gay hero. I basically consider myself a gay man on the inside. I wanted to be loud and proud with him. That's what I do with my gays, except for I couldn't be gay with Sean Hayes because he wasn't out yet. This is like a Dr. Seuss poem. <laughs> Also, like, what do you mean I wanted to be loud and out with him? You're not out. You're a straight woman. <laughs> She's a gay man on the inside. It's Pride Month. Can you be fucking cool for a minute? Just be an ally for a second. <laughs> so she gets to the seafood table, which is a staple of this event. And you wouldn't believe it. There was so much caviar. She goes, there was three big tins of beluga caviar. I knew that each tin cost roughly $1,000. As I stood there, the caterer replaced an empty one. I had some idea of how many tins of caviar my mother's guests would go through at a party this big. Oh my gosh, it would cost thousands of dollars in caviar alone. Last New Year's Eve, I had gone to the local cheese shop and splurged on an ounce of caviar for me and Dean. It cost $150. I get it, Tori, you're poor. So somebody was serving the caviar and she didn't see the toast points that normally they have. And she's like, excuse me, I'm looking for the... And the woman goes, Bellinis? 
And then she was like, oh no, I sounded like Julia Roberts and pretty woman. Like I couldn't afford to be here. I felt like I didn't belong. And then she's like, yeah, yeah, sorry. I have mommy brain. I thought those were cornflakes. And then she's like, um, do you happen to have creme fraiche? See, you thought I was going to say sour cream. I do know the right terminology for a caviar spread. I'm like, Tori, the server at this insane party does not think you're poor. You don't have to worry. So they have avocado mousse this year instead of creme fraiche. And it's like a whole thing. And she goes to pout in the corner with her brother. And she's like, everything's different. (laughs) And he goes, the crab legs are the same. I feel like I'm like wheezing into this micro. I can't believe it. To be like, God almighty, everything has changed. And it's like, not the seafood. (laughs) At one point, her daughter goes into the kitchen and she goes, this is where she was the most content. Not at the fancy party, but among the warm, friendly staff. I understood completely. That was me as a kid. Again, I'm like, the staff is not your friends. They're paid to be nice to you. Oh my God, there's this one part where she's talking to Sean Hayes and he goes, thank you for having me. And she's like, oh, I don't live here anymore. Although it's so big, I could move back in and they'd never notice. And I wrote, frog. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my God, I forgot I had a note of frogging, but it's because she's like, I don't know why I kept getting colds. I was getting so sick all the time. And I was like, frog, (laughs) you're being frogged by my frogger. (laughs) Well, I guess this was 2010. Whoever was frogging then was frogging me now. Oh my God. A decades long life as the most successful frogger. From coast to coast. Anyway, so the mom is very nice. This part was crazy. In a small room, relatively speaking, of course, where we ate most of our meals when I lived at the manor, there was like fake snow. There was desserts everywhere. Jars of candy, a donut maker. There was ice cream, a sandwich station where they spread ice cream on any flavor of cookie and wrapped it in edible paper. Signs in the room said, welcome to Candyland. My mother pointed us to certain desserts saying, try this one. It has this in it. Or that one has this in it. She knew each dessert. And I realized she'd had a tasting. (laughs) Of course she had. (laughs) She had tasted all the desserts and all the food. That was my mom. (laughs) I'm left speechless. Tori's done it again. (laughs) We don't know what to say. Imagine at your wedding would have been like, (laughs) Claire. She tried all the food before we went to the wedding. She planned this party. And before we even went, she knew where it was. <laughs> okay. So then she finally gets to go to the big buffet because she's like, I haven't eaten all day, even though she has been at the seafood table, but she hasn't gotten to the real buffet. And finally, she's like, it was getting late. All the other guests had already feasted for hours. And in the dining room, most of the food was gone. As I approached the table, I took off my heels and slung them over my finger. I took a plate and started to serve myself. A waiter offered to help. He held the plate for me as I scooped food on, babbling apologies. I feel really bad, I said, as I helped myself to ravioli. This is really nice of you. I don't usually let people do things for me. I'm a mom. (laughs) On I went, determined to prove that I didn't live an over-the-top of life. Jesus fucking Christ. These people don't care. You have to stop, like, apologizing to the staff. They do not give a shit. Nothing you say to these people is going to make them think that you're down-to-earth and relatable. Just be bougie. Like, you can't be at your mom's house eating $10,000 of caviar and being like, these people... So then they're leaving the party and she is so excited. She's like, I can't believe how well that went. Like maybe me and my mom are friends again. Like maybe our fight was just blown out of proportion by the tabloids. And maybe we were never even really mad at each other at all. Like maybe the tabloids said we hated each other. And so we just hated each other. Like kind of similar to her and Dean's relationship. The tabloids said they like each other and so that they must like each other. And she said Dean was super understanding. And she's like, I thought Dean would be such a bitch because I told him to hate my mom. But he said, yeah. Give her another chance. Dean loves rich people stuff. And she's like, wow, it wasn't about me, my mother and my brother. It was just about me and Dean. And just like that, our ebb was flow again. We cooked together. We spent every second together. We weren't perfect. None of us are. And can I tell you the crazy thing Dean says? So Dean used to have a really good relationship with his former father-in-law, Mary Joe's dad, who he obviously lost in the divorce. The father of the woman shouldn't 
pick the cheater man's side. Yeah. And then he goes, hey, do you think that maybe if we get close with your mom, her new boyfriend will be like Mr. E to me? Tori's like, I don't know. (laughs) Maybe. (laughs) The metamorphosis begins. So now she's like, okay, I have to change. She finally goes to a pain doctor. And she's like, why is this happening to me about her headaches? And they finally say, oh, they started 10 years ago when you left 90210. It was almost like life post 90210 has just been too hard for you. So she goes to a Reiki practitioner immediately. They say you've lost your voice completely. And then they realize there's a star on her back spiritually and from an energy perspective. And from that star, there is hope. They said you'll start to change. And when you do, everyone around you will change. Hope. Hope grows. So then the next week, she allows Dean to take her daughter to school for the first time. And then the week after, the babysitter goes. And apparently someone at the Mommy and Me class is like, I thought parents had to be present. You can't just like let a nanny come in here. And Tori gets obviously very upset. And is like, I didn't, I'm a mother. I'm a present mother. I'm a hands-on mother. And everybody's like, yeah, nobody gave a shit what that woman said. That was like a really Adeline thing to bring up at circle time that she thought that anybody there with a nanny like had parents who didn't love them. Yeah. I don't know why you would care if somebody else's parent is there with a nanny. People have to work. Yeah. It is insane to be like, I thought at this school, all of the mothers were free all the time. She's basically saying that she actually is a hands-on mother because at one point she's taking her kids to go get coffee in the morning. And at the coffee bean, one of the stroller tires pops right near Stella's ears. And she's like freaking out because she thinks she accidentally made her child deaf. And she's like, see, I do care. And then she goes to the Reiki healer again. And the Reiki healer is like, John Hughes, does that mean anything to you? And she's like, yeah, I loved his movies. Reiki healer is like, I saw that in your energy. And I don't even know what we're talking about at this point. Basically, the healer says that the reason she's so afraid of flying is because she doesn't believe in her own happy ending. She thinks that she's going to have a tragic ending. So she needs to start believing that she deserves a happy ending in order for her to stop having these random irrational fears that her life will end tragically. And then she gets a dog on Christmas Eve. She and Dean are like randomly just going to this dog shelter. And there's this old dog that they just can't live without. And they bring him home and he just like dies the next day. I'm not laughing. This chapter really traumatized me. So they're having a really nice Christmas Eve and then they wake up the next day. And the dog's obviously like in a bad place. And so they take it to the vet and the vet's like, oh, she has a giant tumor. And they're like, oh, also, he ate one of those little plastic things that holds bread together. And they're like, he must have swallowed this a week ago. It like really ripped up his insides. We think he's going to die. And she's like, no, whatever you have to do, like resuscitate him, like keep him alive. What I don't care the cost. And so then they do the surgery and they come out and they're like, oh, my God, we can't believe it. He survived. We've never in a million years would have thought a dog would have survived. And then two days later, they're like, actually, no, he's dead now. And then she's like, okay, that dog wrote its own happy ending. (laughs) He lived in the shelter for all of its life. And then he finally got one Christmas with a boy and a Christmas tree. She said his old life was a mystery to me. But with us, Murray had 24 hours of what he deserved. He had Christmas with a family and a boy. He wrote his own happy ending. If he could do it, I could. I don't think that dog was like my dream way to go. Swallowing a bread nodder. I just feel like the way Tori will take any fucking thing and apply it to what a psychic tells her is so fucking crazy. The reason she has to live in L.A. and not New York is because graffiti would be the fucking end of her. Can you imagine the amount of signs that she would see written on the wall and be like, what do these signs mean? Sorry, we only have four pages left, but they're all so different (laughs) that like I have to explain. So then she has a whole page about going to like CVS and this woman keeps trying to take a photo of her and is like, do you want a photo of Miss Beverly Hills? And Tori's like, no, I don't want your headshot. And she's like, no, like you don't want a photo with me. 
And Tori's like, well, I don't have any makeup on right now. And I've been crying a lot. And she's holding like monostat. And then the woman's like, you're not gonna take a photo. Like, I'll let you see it. And the girl keeps calling Tori short. And Tori's like, I'm five, five. And the girl's like, well, I'm six feet. So to me, you look really small. And Tori's like, okay. And then the girl's like, see at the gym. And Tori's like, what are you talking about? And then the story just ends. And we never find out what she was talking about. And then she gets on a plane. And guess what? She gets to meet the pilot. And the pilot flirts with her and says she's hot and has a nice butt. And it helps her not be as scared on the flight. Really? If you ever want Tori to do almost anything, tell her she looks pretty. (laughs) And then she's like, I'm wearing leggings. And her agent's like, no, they still look good. And then there's turbulence, but she gets through it. And then her and Dean are like laying in bed one night and he looks at her and he goes, I love you. And then they make love. Dean still races motorcycles, but I know his number one hobby is his wife and kids. How do you know that, though? Because he's not proven it with any actions. Oh, my God. Also, something in this book is every time she thinks something bad's about to happen to her, which obviously never does. This whole book is like, and then I thought I had breast cancer, but I didn't. And then I thought we got a new dog, but it died. And then I thought that I was going to have jury duty, but I wasn't selected. I thought I was going to take a photo with Miss Beverly Hills, but I didn't. She's always like, I can imagine the headlines now. If I were to die on a plane, they'd be like, anorexic star died by overhead trajectory. Like, I'm like, no, does anyone use Tori except for you? I said she should write a book called Changing My Trajectory. That's a good divorce title. Anyway, final thoughts. My final thoughts are I'm like really impressed with the way Tori can turn out a book. I feel like to put any of these thoughts on page, I would sooner be shot in the head. So I'm proud of her. And I don't know, Claire, any final thoughts on your end? I loved this book. (laughs) I can't explain it. I wish I was hearing about Tori Spelling all the time. I never want to meet her. I kind of think Bug has a lot in common with Tori Spelling. (laughs) No, they're opposites to me because Bug doesn't give a shit what anyone thinks. And Tori exists solely in what people think. No, Bug is so self-conscious. Okay, so how fertile was this soil? Five. Top fertile. (laughs) To me, this is the best book we've ever read. And I'm not kidding. I can't explain it. I was so thrilled to get through this book and I wish we could read a second book and I want to know what Candy thinks. I want to hear Candy's side of the story. Okay. I would give it like a 2.5 because like nothing actually happens. But that's why she's a great writer. Yeah, totally. Great writers aren't people who interesting things happen to. It's people who can make something interesting out of nothing and there's nothing in here. I think the most fascinating thing about this book is like the quotes she includes. Like she'll be like, and I wanted to go to the store and Moran said to me, oh, Okay. I'm like, why did you just quote Moran? <laughs> okay. And how many warm teenies would you like to have with her? Oh, definitely only one because I think that she is someone who is like deeply stressed out by her own self, but she like makes it your problem. I agree 1000%. And I would like to have zero warm teenies with her, but I can't express it. I wish that she was my best friend's best friend. <laughs> I wish she was my best friend's camp friend. I wish she was my best friend's class mom. That's what I wish. I wish I had a best friend who was stuck in a group chat with her for like logistical reasons. All right, you guys, we love you so much. And thank you so much to our five-star reviewers. Thank you so much, EJR1904. Take me to the ER because my heart is beating so fast because I love you so much. Thank you, Sammy Pillar. You are a pillar of absolute perfection. I look to you every time I need inspiration. Thank you, Pasta Bo. You are the most delicious evening meal. I am so grateful you were delivered to me with a bow, the best gift of all time. Thank you, sea otter enthusiast. I love sea otters just as much as you love sea otters because anything you love, I love. Thank you, Binny and Lolly. I love your guys's love and friendship, and I'm so grateful you've let me into the circle. Thank you, Julesi123. I'll tell you what I have lessy of right now. 
and it is ice upon my heart because you are melting it. Thank you, Charlotte Meow. You are the only cat I would let in my life because Bug tends to be afraid of them, but not you. That is all for this week. I love you guys so much, and I cannot wait to see you next week.